All right, well, we're going to jump right in this morning. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, I have been trying to recap at the beginning of my messages the ground that we've covered so far in this series, and we're just at the point where I can't do it anymore. Um, this is week nine of a series we're doing called Love and Hate, and I end up preaching all the previous weeks before we start the message. So at this point, the good news for you is they do kind of stand alone, um, but I would encourage you on some level they build together and it might be worth listening. Um, the one thing I do want to acknowledge is the last two messages we began talking about um, when conflict arises, when there's a difference of opinion. And so for two weeks, we talked about relational unity, when we have disagreements with one another. Um, somebody hurts somebody's feelings. Uh, somebody gets let down. You, you let somebody down. You wound somebody with your words, with your actions. And just how the scripture walks us through repairing relationships. And so I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to those couple of weeks um, just important stuff on, on the need for us to have unity in our midst, in our relationships, with, within the church. And that doesn't just mean this group of people. That means the church big picture. We're part of a larger community, and God's kingdom is at work all around us here in Knoxville and beyond, and it's about how do we walk in unity. And so it's very relationally focused. When, when this person and this person have an issue, what do we do? How do we forgive how do we repent and acknowledge where we've blown it? Um, how do we recognize we're all a part of the same body? And so when this part is wounded, it affects the rest of it. Um, when my toe gets stubbed, I hurt. I'm not thinking, toe, get over it. I'm thinking, I need to deal with that pain because I can't focus on anything else right now. Well, we're a part of a body. And so when there's wounding, when there's hurt, it's important to work towards repairing that. So that's the ground we covered the last couple of weeks. This morning... We're going to start a little two-week mini-thing on, um, instead of relational things that cause disunity, um, doctrinal things. Now, I realize that's a big, big word. We're not going to get into a bunch of deep doctrinal stuff. What it basically means is when we disagree on what God says, when we have disagreement about who Jesus is or the life he calls us to live, um, basically, when we disagree about what the Bible teaches or when we begin to bring our own opinions or our own cultural thoughts into what God has to say. And so how do we walk in unity when there's disagreement about things that we believe? So that's what we're going to cover this morning. So we ready? Yeah, y'all look really ready. I mean, I can just tell you're at the edge of your seats there. All right, well, we're mainly going to be in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along. We will put the scripture up on the screen as well. We're going to look at a series of three parables that Jesus taught, one right after the other. And it was around this issue of when there's disagreement, there's disunity, there's things that don't fit. And so we're going to jump in with the first story he told, found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Here we go. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. 
So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Wheat and weeds. Uh, some translations may say wheat and tares. Now, this particular picture uh, story that Jesus is telling here, this isn't just some random like grassy weed. A tear is a specific kind of weed that looked a whole lot like the grain head of wheat. And so especially early on in the growth process, you couldn't necessarily see the difference. Unless you were an expert, you wouldn't recognize it until much later. Now, I think it's significant that Jesus is telling that story because all too often in our relationships with each other, we can be really quick to judge and identify who people are and where they stand. And if I've, if I've been in any church setting or really any group of people for long enough, pretty quickly I'll encounter some people where I'm like, oh, that's a wheat right there. I know exactly, I know exactly what that is where that person rubs you the wrong way or there's a difference of opinion or there's, there's frustration that arises. A am I the only one that has that experience in my relationships? It's just me? Yeah? No? Okay. Come on, we can, we can agree on this. We're so quick to make judgment calls on that stuff. And what Jesus says is, listen, it, it's going to kind of play out. First of all, he says, I know. I see what's going on. And I'm gonna, we're going to just give this opportunity to grow. And when the time comes, we will be able to tell the wheat from the weeds. And when it's time for both of them to be harvested, the wheat will not be damaged. It'll be rescued and saved, and we'll deal with the weeds accordingly. He gives, he gives timing. Now, this, this is confusing to me. I don't understand why Jesus would tell me that on some level... I should actually allow weeds to be planted near me. Now, does he say he wanted the weeds there? Did he put them there? Who put the weeds there? The enemy. So he doesn't necessarily want them there. Why is he not pulling up the weeds? What was the purpose? They could damage the wheat with it. Jesus' point is that when, when wheat... And when weeds get mixed together, we should proceed with caution. We should proceed with care in order to care for the wheat. We might tear it up. It's possible that the wheat and the weeds have gotten really close and intermingled a little bit and we'll rip them up. It's also possible that they'll be mis misdiagnosed. Hey, this seems to be a patch of weeds right here. Let me get the whole bunch and I'm ripping up a wheat with it. Y'all get this picture? Um, now, to make it really clear, Jesus used the picture of the harvest over and over again in Scripture. And in all of those instances, he's referring to people. He's referring to, to people who are walking out this life. And at the end of the age, he even talks about the angels being the harvesters that come and harvest. And the wheat are put into his storehouse. The reason I'm saying this is when we encounter weeds in the midst, when we encounter people that we are in conflict with or people that seem to be at odds with us or it's causing difficulty in life, they don't seem like they belong 
and our church settings, one of our issues is that we feel like justice needs to be done. This person has created damage. They've harmed me. They've harmed somebody else. And justice needs to be done. Can I just ask you to take note of something? Is justice ultimately done in this story? Yeah. Like our our deeds will be clearly seen. One way or another, we'll stand before God one day and all will be laid bare. All will be laid bare. Justice will be done. God's saying, trust me. Trust me to make that judgment call. Trust me to identify appropriately where where people are and where they belong. And and I'm actually going to protect you in the midst of it. I've, I've seen this. I've been a part of scenarios where potentially a weed gets pulled up too quickly and it harms some some really good people in the midst of that conflict and they can get swept up into what's happening it's sad it's dangerous it's harmful and so Jesus is teaching us something important now we're going to keep going because there are some things that are dangerous that need to be dealt with and so we're going to skip one parable and go to the third one This is a very short one found in verse 33 of the same chapter. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus tells them another parable. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So he's talking about this agent that gets put into the flour, gets put into the dough, and it mixes its way in and it affects the entire batch. The entire batch will then be be puffed up, right? I'm, I'm not a baker, but any, any bakers in the room, right? That's what kind of makes it fluffy and yummy, makes it really good. Um, listen, I love good bread, but when Jesus starts talking about leaven in the scripture, it's, it's always, he's always talking about things like sin. He's talking about compromise, or he's even talking about specifically like wrong teaching, For example, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for those guys. The life they they lead, the the burdens they put on you. Watch out for that. So in scripture, that's what leaven represents. So so how do we we bring these two things together? Because on one hand, Jesus seems to be warning, like, if we don't watch out for leaven, it's going to affect everything. It will work its way into the whole batch, and everything will be affected by it. That sounds dangerous. That sounds deadly. And then on the other hand, he says, listen, there's, there's going to be people, when we're doing life together, there's going to be people that aren't there with right intentions. They're not there following Jesus and in love with God. And I, I guess I just feel like I do need to clarify, like, wheat aren't perfect people. Wheat are flawed, damaged people who've been loved and saved by Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm not talking about living a perfect life. I'm talking about who you are, who you belong to. You're his. You've given your life to him. But there will be weeds mixed in that have other reasons for being around. And so how do we justify these two things? Oh, no, don't let the leaven get mixed in, and yet don't rip up the weeds. I think one of our core issues, and this is an epidemic actually in our country, we have lost the ability to separate the difference between a person and an idea. We don't know how to talk anymore about ideas that might be flawed, that might even be wrong. 
Are we allowed to say that there's ideas that are wrong? Aren't all of them valid and wonderful and work great for certain people? There are things that are right and things that are wrong. And it's actually right and good to identify and say that idea, that concept, if it's allowed to just stand and go unchecked, it will worm its way in and ruin the whole batch. And so we've got to be able to process ways of thinking that are unhealthy. And we've got to be able to process ways of living that are damaging. See, we will actually accept at times in our life certain things that um, we might not even mentally agree with. We just kind of do them. I just sort of accept this behavior is okay. And then when I see other people doing it, well, they're doing it, it's okay. And we begin to allow things to creep in and we create a culture that just says, this is okay because we're all kind of doing it. It's, it's fine. And so ways of thinking and ways of living need to be dealt with because they can permeate the whole batch. And yet we can't be too quick to just identify a person and go rip them out. They got to go. So how do we walk this out? I believe, I believe the answer here is in the middle parable. In the middle parable. Let's look at verses 31 and 32. In the middle of these two stories, Jesus said this. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Does anybody know in scripture what mustard seed often gets compared to by Jesus? Or what it's a picture of? Say it louder, Tony. Faith. Jesus uses mustard seed as a symbol for faith. And he talks about how we can just have this tiny little grain and it can produce something unbelievable. He says things like, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. It's pretty incredible. Jesus equates our faith, though it's small, that it has the capability of doing something miraculous. And in this instance, he says that small little seed can be planted and it can grow. It can get so rooted and so strong that it can grow and have stability and provide shade and comfort and protection for the birds that need a place to come and nest. It can be there in the middle of the garden like just this beautiful shade tree. So what's the point? I think the first thing that Jesus is saying is see first to your own faith before you go worrying about other people. Let him produce in you a sense of stability. Have your roots run deep. The scripture tells us to be rooted and grounded in Christ. We're going to look at this verse here in just a minute in Ephesians where Paul's talking about this. But remember, Jesus, Jesus told us that there's this biblical principle of the vine and the branches. I don't know if you remember this or not, but he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and you will do what? You'll bear much fruit. You'll bear fruit. When, when we are rooted and we are connected to Jesus, to the source, then what comes out of that is life and health and wholeness. And as we grow in stability because we know who we belong to, we know who we're connected with, then we can see more clearly where errors might be. 
how to navigate hard roads with other people. But we see first to where we are, how we're rooted. See, if we make doctrinal issues just about being right or being wrong or having a good list, we're lost. I mean, most of us, if we just hear the word doctrine, we immediately are like, that's going to put me to sleep. Snooze fest, boring. It really has no purpose if it's about winning a debate with somebody. But, but if we will believe that God has made us for relationship with him, all doctrine is about is knowing the one that we're in relationship with. If I belong to Jesus, if he's my savior, if he's connected me to the father, I want to know him. I mean, how crazy would it be if I was married to my wife and yet I ascribed to her all kinds of, of um, characteristics that weren't her? If I went around saying I'm married to a six foot four brunette, if you've met Amy, you realize that's not the case. I mean, you'd be like, Jake, what are you talking about, bro? That is, dude, that is not what your wife looks like. We, like, you need your eyes checked, man. Like, we laugh at that. But what if we're walking around saying, I belong to Jesus, and I have no idea who he is or what he's like? Not only do I get ripped off from knowing him, but I start hurting other people when I give them my picture of Jesus that's inaccurate. See, if we would, if we would read God's heart through the lens of relationship, this stuff begins to make sense. When we read it through this lens of you know, being some Bible scholar for the sake of being a Bible scholar, we, we, we walk that road of turning into a Pharisee if we're not careful. But if I realize God's called me to a vibrant, living, wonderful relationship with him that will change me and will help me have awesome relationships with other people, and then I've got something. That's the value in having sound doctrine. That's the value in knowing who Jesus is. I want to know the real Jesus. I want to know the real Father in heaven that's there who loves me. I want to know him. I want him to introduce himself to me. I want to let him reveal himself to me. And so that's the purpose and power in understanding and being solid in what we believe. Is this making sense to you guys? Okay, so I want to show you a verse in Ephesians here, and then we're going to look, we're going to take the last maybe 15 minutes and look at four specific instances and in how we walk them out. Um, but first, let's, let's look at this verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Paul writes and he says, According to the riches of his glory, talking about Jesus, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Anybody want to be strengthened with power? I find so many situ situations in life that I just feel at a loss for. I don't know how to handle them. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make the decision that needs to be made. But he's saying we have the ability to be strengthened with power. How do we do that? Through his spirit in your inner being. He's talking about a relationship. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, here's the picture of what he has for us. He, he wants us to realize He's in us and we're in him. 
and to be so familiar with him that our knowledge with him isn't just head knowledge, it's experiential. My life is in Jesus. I know him. I'm growing in him more and more. And because I'm putting my roots deep into who he is and growing and understanding who he is, I'm strengthened by that. And look at the picture that he gives us of, of the understanding that we're going to have about him. It's going to be in 3D. Length, depth, height. He actually uses like a four-dimensional description. John, you and I were just talking about this, weren't we? He actually uses this four-dimensional picture. Well, we also have time. He says, you're going to begin to see and understand how I'm operating in this world that I placed you in. I made you. I shaped you. I formed you. You're going to understand your place in this world more and more as you come to know me and understand me and understand my heart for you and for other people. That's the purpose and the value in, in knowing who we believe. I think too often we've talked about knowing what we believe. Let's talk about knowing who we believe. Let's be in a relationship with him. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so wheat and tares, the leaven that gets mixed in that we need to watch out for, and we're called in the midst of all of it to take the little bit of faith that we have and, and plant it into our relationship with Jesus and watch that grow and bloom as we get to know him more and more. And we will find strength and we will find stability and we will not only be stable people, we will be able to be a place where others find rest where people can come and go, how do I walk this out? What do I do in this particular situation? How do I handle this complicated thing that's going on? We can find rest in each other. All right, so four ways that we can walk this out. And I want to emphasize to you this next portion we're talking about is directly about when we have a disagreement about a belief, when we disagree about a topic within our relationships with one another. I'm not talking about the invisible person on Facebook that you've never met or somehow they became your friend because they liked something once and you accepted and now you really enjoy getting into debates with them. I'm not talking about that person. That's useless. That's a waste of time. It is. I'm talking about people that you know. I'm talking about people that you have a relationship with. How do we walk out these disagreements? Here's the other thing I'm not talking about yet. We're going to talk about it next week. I'm not talking about teachers or leaders who communicate things that are wrong. That's what we're going to tackle next Sunday. I'm talking about people that we are walking through relationship with. And the reason I say that is there is a difference between someone who influences other people and the danger behind them communicating things that are wrong versus people in our midst that maybe are just even struggling with what they believe. I'm figuring it out. I've got doubts. I've got questions. I'm wrestling with this concept or idea. We've got to be able to have those kind of dialogues with one another. If we just tell everybody, if you have a doubt, stop at the door and don't come in, then we just turn to this tiny little holy huddle of the like eight other people that agree with us. And oh, by the way, the longer you know people, that number's going to shrink. <laughs> Eventually, I'm in a room by myself and I'm not even sure I agree with what I'm thinking. That's what happens, right? Those, it shrinks. And so we have to be able to have real, healthy, honest dialogue with one another. we got to be able to wrestle through concepts. We're not sure how we feel about them yet. Doubts that we're having. Issues that we're facing. We've got to have a place where we can talk about that. And if the church is not willing to be that, then people are going to run outside of the church. And who knows the kind of answers they're going to find? 
Actually, we do know because we see it in our culture and it's a mess. And I'll tell you what people are longing for. Real people that can have real honest conversation and walk away knowing we love each other. I mean, we are getting more divided by the second, it feels like, in our country because we don't know how to have these conversations. So this is about brothers and sisters in the Lord, people who say, I love and follow Jesus when we have disagreements. I'm also not talking about friends of yours that don't know the Lord. Those are completely different conversations. They're in a completely different place. And that's what we're gonna start addressing after next Sunday. We're gonna move into how we love people well around us who don't know Jesus and how do we communicate truth to them, okay? Y'all with me? We good? Or I'm gonna try to just go through these as quickly as I can here. The first thing I wanna encourage you to do is beware of confusion. Beware of confusion. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and to be at peace. He's just given them kind of some final encouraging words about how they can live. And then he says in verse 15, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. So now he's referencing Paul. He's saying, hey, I, I've written letters to you. Paul's written letters to you. He's talking about the New Testament, what we now call the New Testament, these letters that guys like Peter and Paul were writing to the churches to teach them things and to encourage them. And look what he says about some of Paul's writings. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Anybody want to say amen to that one that has ever tried to work their way through one of Paul's letters? Yeah, they can be a challenge. He says, they can be hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Notice how he identifies them. He says, listen, there's some people that are just, they're ignorant. They're not purposely doing something wrong. They're, they're ignorant. They're, they're a little bit unstable. They're just kind of finding their footing in the Lord. And so as a result, there are things that they read that they don't really fully understand and it gets twisted and it's ripping them off. It brings destruction. And he says, and they do this to the other scriptures. So it's not just Paul's writings that can be a challenge. Sometimes in our ignorance, sometimes in our instability, we can, we can read things through a broken lens. And I begin to insert concepts and ideas that are, were never intended to be there in the first place. So there are people that can get confused. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, so just be aware you're going to encounter people like this, and you might be that person sometimes. Be aware of that beforehand. Take care that you are not carried away. See, it could be you. It could be you. You might be a little bit off. It might be unintentional. It might be harmless. But like, it's going to cause harm if you stay in that place of ignorance and being unstable. And so take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. See, it's kind of back to that same picture of that tree just being rooted and grounded but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Now listen, I just feel like I have to say some of these things over and over again. When I'm talking about growing and changing and chasing after Jesus, I'm not talking about earning something. You're his. If you've accepted him, you're his. You belong to him. But God is inviting us into a relationship that will grow us. 
and will change us, and it's beneficial. And there should be a progression in our lives as we're walking with him. And so he's saying, hey, grow. Don't stay in that place of ignorance. Don't stay in a place of being unstable. Grow, learn, mature. And so that's, that's how we avoid confusion. We start off by addressing our own selves and our, our own knowledge of the scripture. Number two, a second thing that we can do, not only can we be aware that there's confusion at times, we need to consider other people. Romans chapter 14, Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then skip down to verses 10 through 12. You can read the whole chunk on your own. I'm not trying to leave out something I don't want to talk about. I'm trying to save some time. Romans chapter 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Welcome him. And, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything. While the weak person... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just reading the scripture, guys. The weak person eats only vegetables. Man, I need a cheeseburger after church. I'm kidding. And here's why. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. What he's saying is he's like, listen, there is stuff that is just not that crucial. It's fine to have your opinion. You might even have really good reasons why you have that opinion, but we get drawn into quarrels and fights that are way more in the opinion category than they are in the truth category. Let's learn to identify the difference. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Listen, he's going to sort this stuff out. We need to be able to properly categorize this stuff that's just opinion and, and let it go and not get drawn into fights and quarrels and debates over minor things. If it's not a core doctrinal issue, then it's either a difference of opinion. It might also be a difference of maturity. Like, I, I've, I've had changes in my life. I change how I approach things and view things and communicate things. So it could be a difference of opinion or maturity. The point is to have grace with each other. So realize there are times where maybe we're walking in ignorance or confusion, and maybe there's times where it's just simply a difference of opinion and it's not a core doctrinal issue. Let's not fight about it. Does that make sense? Okay, number three. This is getting in the territory of now where we have some reason to identify something as leaven and say, hey, maybe that needs to go. Category three. Avoid division and correct wrong doctrine. Core doctrinal issues. Avoid division and correct wrong doctrine. We're going to look at three verses quickly. Romans 16 verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine. So this isn't side issues. This is a teaching that directly opposes something that the scripture says. So they either cause divisions or they teach things or communicate things that are contrary to doctrine that you've been taught. What does Paul tell us to do? Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
The, the key words here are contrary to doctrine and causing division. There's a difference between somebody wrestling through an idea that they're unsure about and, and wrestling it through with other people and somebody that's dug in on a core issue. And now they're, they're causing divisions as a result of it. You're against it, you're for it, and it begins to divide up the body in the church because we've dug in and now we're influencing other people with wrong ideas. And so our response, first of all, is to avoid. That's, that's one of the responses. It's not the only response. We avoid. There's another response that we should have. Titus chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. This is Paul still talking about the same kinds of things. He says, first of all, in verse 9, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. But then he says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he's self-condemned. Here's what he's saying. And I think it's interesting he uses the word stirs up division. I mean, it's literally like mixing in the leaven into the whole batch. Somebody who's going around and stirring up concepts that are wrong and broken thinking. He's saying at that point, okay, it's not just about avoiding. We actually, we actually warn them. We warn the person. Hey, man, you're, you're off base here. This is dangerous. And we warn them a couple times. Like, we hang in there with people. We give them an opportunity to change. See, that will help me figure out if somebody's in the confused category or the dug-in category because I'm willing to engage with them. I'm willing to talk to them. And so once I've identified this is kind of an ongoing thing, okay, then it's time to, to remove, to distance. There's a reason why. This is just one picture from Scripture. Um, but in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us what happens when people live a lifestyle of being unwilling to receive instruction. Proverbs 10, 17 tells us that whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. So it's not just that they'll be off base. We naturally begin to influence others with what we think. I do that on, on large scale things and on small scale things. I've recently gotten obsessed with this show on History Channel called Alone. I've told a bunch of you about it. Now I'm telling the rest of you about it. <laughs> right? I just, I'm just hooked on it. Like when, when I get locked in on something, I just sort of naturally share the things that I'm into or thinking about or doing. We can't help it. We communicate. We do that. And so a person that's willing, unwilling to receive instruction, they're not only going to be in a rough spot, they're going to begin to influence other people in a dangerous direction. And so that's why Paul tells us, warn them first, help deal with that person. Maybe we can fix or heal or repair the broken thinking. We, can we find out, oh, they're just wrestling with something. Man, let's, let's hammer it out. Let's talk about it. Let's seek somebody else that's a little further down, along down the road and get their opinion. Like, let's wrestle through it if that's what this is. But if you're just coming in, causing division, and you're dug in, then this needs to stop because now we're protecting other people. Is this making sense? Okay. And then finally... In the midst of all of this, in avoiding and warning and removing, always there is an approach that we have to dealing with one another. And Paul talks to Timothy about this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26. He says, have nothing to do with foolish or ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Have you noticed in each of these passages, he, already, he always throws that in there? 
He's letting us know a lot of the time you've misidentified something as core that isn't, and you're just getting drawn into arguments that are worthless. So he always starts with that. Let's like take that off the table. Now, if it's something real, let's deal with it. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to their friends, kind to the people they agree with, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, just dropping the hammer, right? With gentleness. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Hey, God's a miracle-working God. He can turn weeds into wheat. Did you catch that? He can turn weeds into wheat. And so even when we've reached the point to say, something's got to give here, you're going to have to maybe move on down the road or we can't spend time together, like we are at an impasse, we disagree on a core issue, even in that instance, it's with an attitude of gentleness with the desire that that person will come to a place of realizing what's wrong and it'll be corrected, that they'll be restored. We leave the door open for that when we walk this out this way. So we correct with gentleness. Okay, last point. Number four. Not only do we um, make allowance by considering others, not only do we consider that people might be confused, uh, but we deal head on with division and wrong doctrine. And then finally, um, we correct sin. Man, if, there is, if there's known, ongoing, continuous sin, it needs to be addressed. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Again, you see the heart there? Hey, this is wrong. It's got to be addressed. It's got to be dealt with. But like, you're my bro, man. I'm trying to rescue you from something. I care about you. The funny thing is we know how to do this in certain instances. In some instances, we can recognize a behavior as harmful or damaging to somebody and go, man, like you are struggling with alcohol and I'm concerned and we need to get you some help. And like there's a program I think we can go through and like I love you enough to tell you like there's a problem. I want to I want to rescue you from that. Like sin that's unchecked, undealt with. I'm not talking about a mistake somebody makes. I'm talking about ongoing, continuous a specific thing they're unwilling to deal with, we should go to that person the same way we would try to help somebody that's an alcoholic in our lives that we want to see him get help. We warn him. We plead with him like a brother. Like, man, I want to see you healthy. I want to see you doing okay. Tim Keller, who I love to read and, and quote often, um, has this to say uh, about, about um, addressing our issues, our sins. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Real love cares for someone enough that you don't want to see them living damaged and ripped off. And you want to help them. Not condemning, not self-righteous for their benefit. I do this with my kids all the time. I don't, I don't like disciplining my kids. I would love to just say the word yes all the time. It's much easier. It's not really healthy for my kids to get candy as much as they want to have candy. They would like live on it if I would let them. But I know enough to know that's not healthy for them. 
So I say no, and they don't like it. But I love them. So I tell them the hard thing because I care for them. I don't do it because I like being a cruel dad. I don't do it because I like being a jerk. I love them. And so I take care of them. I want to close uh, by, re- by reminding you of a scripture we looked at a couple of weeks ago. This is found in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is what we get to be a part of. We're on a rescue mission with Jesus. He has rescued and saved and redeemed us. He's in the process of changing us and helping us walk in health and in wholeness in our lives. And he asks us to come be a part of that with him. We, we, get to, we get to like do this with Jesus. We get to be a part of helping other people, loving other people, encouraging one another. And at times, that will mean there are problems that need to be addressed. And we do it from our own position of health and stability and knowing Jesus. And then we operate from a position of love. I'm going to walk in love and gentleness. This is my brother. This is my sister. I want to restore. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe it's just some confusion. I might even step back and realize, you know what? This is just an opinion I have. This isn't a core issue. And so I'm going to to walk through it that way. And at the end of the day, if it's a hard, real thing that needs to be dealt with, my heart towards them will be that this works out that it works out and that they're restored. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we need you. <laughs> we need you. We need you to help us and to guide us. Um, God, we're lost without you, but I thank you that we are not without you. You are with us. You tell us that you are the vine and we are the branches. We're connected to you. You tell us that we can bring the tiny little bit that we've got, that little mustard seed of faith that puts its trust in you, And you can do something miraculous in us with that little bit of faith. It can grow. It can strengthen. It can have deep roots. And God, we can grow in health and in wholeness. We can understand you more and more. God, we don't have to be caught up in confusion and instability. God, we can be a refuge for others to come and find shade and shelter when they need help. God, help us to walk in love and unity with one another in our relationships. Help us to be rooted and established in who you really are and for that purpose to know know your word. And God, help us to, to love each other well, to encourage each other well. And even when we need to call things out, that we would do that with gentleness and love, with a heart to restore. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.